Welcome to Bethlehem Church Online. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm so excited that you decided to join us for worship today. I hope the singing and preaching of God's Word is uplifting and it gives you just what you need. I'm not sure where you are in your relationship or your walk with the Lord, uh, but I want today to be a blessing. I want you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that today is encouraging and that it's just what you need. If it's your first time, make sure to click the link in the post and fill out that form. We have a free gift for you following today's service. Thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the service. You know what I mean? I mean, that was crazy uh, and hideous to boot. You you don't really know how bad it is here until you leave. You know what I'm saying? I just spent the week in Nashville. Let's hear it for Nashville. And all the girls said, uh, Nashville has changed so much. I mean, my parents are from Tennessee. Uh, I've actually lived here longer than I've lived anywhere, uh, which is crazy to think about. But um, uh, yeah, Nashville is, is, is nuts. It's interesting. Uh, definitely become some sort of party town. But um, it, nonetheless, people are just so kind in the South. I mean, has anybody experienced that? Anybody? People are so kind anywhere but Baltimore. <laughs> Anywhere but here. Um, but yeah, and there are, there are some new folks here in the congregation, some, some folks just visiting and, and things. So you, listen, don't be the stereotypical, don't mean mug them, okay? Go up, tell, at, at least say, I'm glad, try it with me. I'm glad you're here. You don't have to say it with a smile on your face. Just say, I'm glad you're here and uh, greet them with, you know, and, and, and yeah, in scripture, Mark, Mark, you're good at it. Uh, yeah, you do your thing, make people feel welcome. But anyway, down in the South, it, it was just, it was refreshing to be honest with you. We, we had a, um, uh, and if you're watching online, uh, story time right now. So anyway, thank you for joining us. Uh, but Rex, it, that poor thing, our youngest, uh, he is just like a bug magnet. You know what I mean? I don't know if it's cause he's like so chunky and he's just like running through, uh, the field, and I, I could have swore that I saw him, like, lift up off the ground. All the mosquitoes were, like, lifting him up off the ground and carrying him away. I was like, no, it was so bad. He just getting torn up, even with bug repellent, but he got a bite on his, on his arm that swelled up real bad. And we're like, oh, my goodness, is this like a brown recluse bite? You know, it looked like it was bruising. We didn't know what it was. Turns out it was just a, a skeeter. Thank you so much. Y'all give my wife a hand. Man, I tell <laughs> she hates it when I do that, which is why I love doing it. Amen. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, uh, yep. So didn't she do good in worship today? She, she also hates it when I say that. <laughs> She's my favorite worship singer. Um, as she should be, I guess. I'm just up here playing jump rope with my charger. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> his arm swells up. And so we're like, man, we got to go to the urgent care pediatric thing. And you would have thought we walked into Disney World. <laughs> we're at an urgent care place. And we walk in and the lady's like, how are y'all? So thankful y'all stopped by to see us. And I'm like, it's urgent care. <laughs> and it's like 10 o'clock at night. And they're like, come on in. Come on in. There's fresh baked cookies right out of the oven. It's like, what? No, there wasn't. I'm teasing. But, you know, this is urgent care in the South. Urgent care here. <laughs> You like walk up and you have to <clears throat> three or four times just to get them to look up from their phones. And they're like, excuse me. Yes. What brings you in today? You know, what ailment has caused you to come into the urgent care? 
Anyway, uh, so we walk in, and they were just so happy to see us. And we thought it couldn't get any nicer. And then we met the nurse. And it was like each level went up a hospitality tier. You know what I mean? It's like the nurse came out, and she was like, hello, sweetheart. Come on in. Come here. And Rex is like, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with this little one. He just needs some loving, you know. And they take us back and check us in, and we're like, oh, my goodness, it can't. And Sarah and I, by this point, we're standing in the corners, like, scared to death. Like, what is happening? What are these people about to do to us? You know what I mean? Because, yeah, we're from Baltimore, and people don't talk to, to us at all, ever, in public. And if they do, there's a problem. There's a real issue here. And then the doctor comes in. And first of all, he looked like he just stepped out of a P90X infomercial. The guy was like shredded. He's like, hello. <laughs> Just kidding. He had a Southern accent. But anyway, he was like, how are y'all? Everything okay? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with you, buddy? <laughs> like, holy cow. <laughs> this guy's going to invite us on vacation with him. You know what I mean? I got a timeshare in Costa Rica. Y'all need a few nights? Here you go. I know it's been a rough vacation. And, and he's like telling us a story. He's like, man, we were down in Costa Rica and I just saw this big old yacht coming through, and it's only one bridge, and everybody stops and watches the boat. And I was like, hey, what's that fella do for a living? And the other guy was like, well, he invented the straw, the stir straw that goes in coffee. Isn't that something? All we need to do is come. You want to put our heads together right now and come up with an invention so we can get a yacht and go to Costa Rica? Anybody? How are you? It was just like wild, man. He's so nice, so kind. And uh, we explained to him why we were apprehensive because we're from Baltimore and people aren't nice. And uh, anyway, it was just neat, man. We, we left there and he was healed magically. Rex was healed. They heal people at the, in, in urgent care clinics in the South. They healed him right on the spot and out we went. And it was amazing. They didn't even charge us. They paid us, in fact. They gave us a gift card to Starbucks as we left. Um, I'm kidding. But uh, it, was, it was a pretty neat experience. But, uh, yeah, so we had fun in Tennessee. We're reminded that you need a gospel calling to live in Baltimore. And, uh, you know, here's the thing, though. It's not an excuse. And, honestly, it's down there, everybody seems like they're church people. You know what I mean? Because everybody's nice and kind. Up here, we have an opportunity. You're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> we have an opportunity to be kind. We have an opportunity to be loving. We could even use southern accents if you're scared. You know what I mean? If you need like another barrier between you so that you don't think, so that people don't think that you're from here or whatever, just go ahead and use that. Remember, I'm from Tennessee, so it's like essentially my family is. You know, I have an Aunt Dreama. You know what I mean? And if you're watching this morning, I love you. I have an Aunt Dreama and an Uncle Billy. And when they say my name, it's Matthew. It's really long, really drawn out. But, you know, my family knows hospitality. Uh, And if you don't come from that, ask the Lord to help you. Maybe the Lord will use you this week to be kind to somebody. Amen? But it was was a good reminder. Look, this is it. This is the final message uh, in the book of Exodus. And I preached for over an hour this morning because it's the final one. So just get ready for it. Uh, It's going to be good. Y'all are like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. You know all that kind stuff? We just threw it out the window. Amen? How many got something in the crock pot? I'm just trying to figure out where I'm. I'm coming to Kurt's for lunch. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? You only got room for one? Sorry, babes. Just me. Anybody else got something in the crock pot for baby mama and the children? Okay, I'm looking. All right. Maybe at the altar call, you'll change your mind. But it's, it's, uh, it's exciting to close. It's bittersweet to close up this book. Uh, it's been such a blessing to me. Uh, I'm not going to review or belabor any, any point other than
uh, we're going to land the plane. And what we came out of the Mount Sinai situation, um, remember, God had chosen in his grace to allow them to continue and not annihilate them. But Moses, even though the Lord chose to withhold his anger, uh, Moses did not. And so Moses killed 3,000 of them. My man don't play. <laughs> I'll avoid the dumb joke that I was about to just tell, but um, he doesn't play. He made them drink of the bitter water. He returned into God's presence 40 days, uh, 40 nights without food or water. Uh, that had to be miraculous. Uh, and even if, uh, however you take that, uh, at, a, at the very least, the narrator is saying, what happened after that? What happened after Moses took care of business is the Lord performed a work and a miracle among those people. And whoever was left, essentially, they were God's covenant-bearing community. They were designed to bear God's covenant, to, to showcase, if you will, they were chosen, they were elected to showcase God's grace to the world. Jerusalem first, to the Jews, they were God's chosen people. And then that, that type of behavior, that type of image bearing, resetting. Remember, we're reinstating the Edenic promise, the Edenic blessing that was severed through the fall and through uh, defective divine council members. And from this perspective, God would begin the journey and continue the story of redemption through the children of Israel. So uh, we know that the Lord means business, and we know that this was a... Uh, a big, tall task, if you will, a rather simple one, but a, a tall task nonetheless. And so everything that the Lord has been communicating to them as far as like specific instructions about the tabernacle, how it was to be built, the Holy of Holies, the materials to be used, uh, the priests, what the priests w were to wear, their undergarments, their outer garments, their, uh, the, the breastplate that they would wear, the turban on, on their head, the ephod, uh, all of those things that are meticulously spelled out, the Lord will use the people of God, those that are left, those that are on the proverbial Lord's side, as Moses declared, and they will move forward from chapter 34 to chapter 40, and they will build it, and they will execute it. So we're going to cover a ton of ground today, chapters 34 um, through 40, but understanding that most of it is, uh, has already been stated. This is a re, uh, another reenactment of the same instructions. And then from those instructions of this is what you're going to do, it's actually the person who will do it, the part that they will partake in, and then them executing it. And then when it ends, uh, chapter 40, the Lord's presence comes down and fills the place. So um, as I thought mused on the last five chapters, which are really, you know, restating the job that they were supposed to be doing. They were going to build the tabernacle. Two things stood out in this passage that are themes, reoccurring themes through this whole book. Um, and, and they stood out. And I, and I just want to, I want to go on record by saying um, it, it felt very hypocritical writing this message from the perspective that the Lord gave it to me and said, Robinson, this is, if you're new, the Lord calls me Robinson. Um, but he said, Robinson, this is for you, and these are the things that you need. Uh, and so the points today are my effort uh, and, and the things that I'm going to work on, and so I just figured I'd hand it to you. 
And maybe if I'm struggling with it, you're struggling with it. Maybe if at this point, maybe I'm reflective of the culture somewhat, you know, of, of what these issues are. But I, I think that just given the fact that it's reoccurring, that Moses calls our attention to it as he hit the reset button, coming down from Mount Sinai again the second time, the second time that we know of, from the Lord's presence shining, and he says, now it's time to complete the work. It's time to finish the temple, well, build, rather, the tabernacle. It's time to consecrate that, the priestly garments, the priestly office, and we're going to move forward. His words in the beginning when he got started on the title of the message, the collective project, they just took me off guard, and I thought, hmm, that's so good. So, uh, let's get started, but, but just keep in mind, we're going to cover the five chapters, um, but only highlight a few parts here, and really the parts that stood out uh, to me. Let me pray one more time, and then we'll jump into the text. Father, we, we need you. Spirit of God, move in our hearts, move in the room, give us what we need. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen. Chapter 35, verse number one, Moses assembled the entire Israelite community and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Verse two, for six days, work is to be done, but on the seventh day, you are to have a what? A holy day, a what? A Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Anyone who does not work, uh, anyone who does work, you don't want to get that one backwards. (laughs) Anyone who does work on it must be what? And this coming from the guy who just pulled out his sword and killed 3,000. He means business, doesn't he? If Moses said, look, if anybody does work on the Sabbath, you're going to be killed, I'd be like, yes, sir, I will do nothing, sir, amen? Especially after the scene that we just saw. Verse number three. Do not light a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath day. You get the point. Things are supposed to to stop. Now, when I say the word Sabbath, um, does that mean anything to you? If that means something to you, raise your hand. I just want to know kind of what we're dealing with. Three of you? Four? Anybody else? Okay, a few more. What about Shabbat? Has anybody been to Pikesville lately? (laughs) Okay, that's the place in town where they all hang out. Uh, and things really shut down around Friday evening, right? Um, let me give you a little bit of, and there's a lot packed in the program. Once again, if you're new, the program is is online uh, or on our app. And there's a lot of extra stuff for you to dig into throughout the week, but I'm going to skip through some of it for the message for sake of time. But we find here, chapter 35, verses 1 through 29, the description of the construction of the tabernacle begins here with Moses, reminding the people of Sabbath regulations. As they were about to set out on their first collective building project since leaving Egypt, listen to this, Moses must remind them that they are not to continue to work as slaves, but are to remember their creator by resting on the seventh day. How many of us, the Lord radically changes our life but yet we still act as though we're slaves to our sin in the world. Moses had to, had to say, look, do you think they had a Sabbath rest in Egypt? Yes or no? The answer is no. Were they bearing the image of Christ in Egypt? No. 
they were bearing the image of lesser than. And Yahweh has chosen himself a people and they will bear his image. And part of that is reflecting Yahweh's nature. And, and I think a lot of this is like, I, you know, some of these things that I'm going to say are, are just my, where I've, where I've landed. You may be in a different spot and that's totally okay. Um, but this was pre-law. You know, and I know there are churches, <clears throat> cults that, uh, you know, take this to heart and utilize this or leverage this for their own control efforts. But this was a specific Sabbath that he was calling them to in the law. Uh, does anybody know the first day of the week? It's Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> I got a lot of different answers this morning too. What's the first day? Monday? <laughs> That's maybe your first day of the week. Uh, but the first day of the week is technically Sunday. Uh, so we're starting off the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. Uh, that's some New Testament language, right? In the Lord's house, giving the Lord this day, so to speak. Um, but this is not Sabbath. Sabbath would have been we work six days and we rest on the what? Seventh. So Sunday would have been a work day. Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And if you notice in Scripture, it's the evening and the morning were the what? First day. So they started counting their day on the evening. So where we're like, ah, it's morning, next day. They're like, oh, it's evening. It's the start of the next day. So 6 o'clock Friday night started the Sabbath into Saturday and then ended Saturday evening. And so um, you'll see, like, Literally, if we went to Pikesville, practicing Jews, even, even to this day, they, they keep a strict Sabbath. Um, and I also put into the, the notes here uh, just some specifics about the Sabbath and the Torah. I took some from the New Testament and some from Hebrews, and we'll dig into, dig into that a little bit. But just the overall point of kind of what we're trying to make here uh, is to understand the concept of what Moses had brought them into. And so he's saying, look, if you continue to work and labor, and mind you, this is the first project, the first collective project that they were going to tackle here, finally, right? We're at chapter 35. They're finally getting to it. And you would think that it would just be like, man, we're ready. Go get the materials. So-and-so, he knows how to uh, work with metal. So-and-so knows how to work with wood. And we're going to put all this thing together. And we're going to build this tabernacle. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. Let's work sun up to sundown. Let's get this thing done. This is going to be incredible. And then the Lord's presence is coming. And, and that's not how he did it. He, he came out of the gate and he said, hey, let me explain something to you first. This project is different. Egypt was a picture of death. They were crafting and creating within the pantheon of their own gods, the life that they wanted to craft and create. We are building something that is eternal. And you're not going to bring your old ways into this project. We're going to work six days and we're going to work hard. But on the seventh day, everything is going to stop. We will cease. We will observe a Sabbath. Why? Because that's commanded of us. And Yahweh told us that. This is, there's a process. There's a way this is going to go down. Man, that just struck me. I thought right out of the gate, Moses, way to kill the mood. Way to kill, way to motivate how to win friends and influence people by Moses, right? What a great book. As he writes it, light a fire in your house on Sabbath and you're dead. Man, you're really, you're 
you are a leader of leaders, Moses. And he was. I'm, I'm being facetious. But the, the point is, is this catches my eye. As he begins to talk about it, he says, look, the importance is Sabbath, the Sabbath. The account of the work is extremely detailed. Uh, and really, the execution of the instructions from chapters 25 through 30. The careful mention of every detail, despite the result, uh, resultant repetition of earlier material, serves to emphasize how the work was to be completed precisely as instructed. The narrative from 36.8 to 39.32 presents little new information, which we've already stated, as it painstakingly details the work being carried out according to Yahweh's explicit instructions. The tabernacle itself is constructed in chapters 36. The fabri- fabrication of the tabernacle furniture and its utensils follows for chapter 37 and 38, and the priestly garments for 39. The account, uh, account culminates in chapter 40 with the assembly and consecration of the tabernacle. So, uh, as we close this out and land the plane, I want to focus on these two, these two things that I see coming out of this. Number one, the first thing I see is rest. One of the important, most stressed things here as we get onto this landing strip, so to speak, is Moses calls out the need for a Sabbath, calls out the need to rest. And the second thing that I see that we'll talk about that ties into it beautifully is the assignment. I see rest and an assignment. These two things that I'm seeing repeated through the book and that we're seeing here at the end. So let's chat about the first one, rest, Sabbath, Shabbat, however you call it. Exodus 35, one through three that we've already read, it talks about how a Sabbath is complete rest unto the Lord. Um, As we walk through this, I know that, you know, our culture, you know, we, we have struggles on both ends of this. And Gen Z would be like, rest, <laughs> yes. I know there are some people uh, in our culture and in our generation, right, uh, that they've got this thing on lockdown from the outward perspective. They're not practicing Sabbath, but they're like, man, I'm, I'm like literally living on unemployment. All I do is rest, Pastor. I am literally the most spiritual one in the room. I actually took a vacation on my unemployment. You know what I'm saying? I got this rest. I mean, I literally have been collecting a check since 2020. You know what I'm saying? There, there's not, Miss Cindy liked that one. Uh, we're not necessarily saying, hey, the, the more you game the system, the better. That's not what we're talking about. But there's also, as we do have a problem with laziness, we do have a problem with people not working, there's a problem on the reverse end as well, where our entrepreneurship is worshipped and where we work 24-7 and we consume, 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 and we're on that hamster wheel constantly feeding what? And I told you, look, this is for me. The sermon is for me. You know, the struggle is real. Whether you're on one end of the spectrum where you don't even know how to work yet or the other where all you do is work, all I do is win, you know, whatever that culture looks like, both are a problem. Both are a challenge. And Moses is calling them into their new identity of bearing the image of God. And he says it should look a certain way. Look, here's what I'm saying. This is not, well, that's just how I am. This is just how it is for me. 
I grew up and we didn't have anything, so I, I'm going to make sure of it. Look, you either want to do this thing the Lord's way or not. You, you either went, when you decided to follow Jesus, you picked up the cross, and when you signed up, you said, hey, I'm going to bear your image. I'm going to be in this covenant with him or not. It's not, I get to do it the way I want to do it. I come to church, I show my pause button, I give my praise and glory, and then I'm right back at it. I'm right back buried in my phone. I'm right back buried in my career or buried in whatever it is. It's not your choice. It's God's choice. He made you. He crafted you. You're fearfully, wonderfully made by him. Why would the creature tell the creator how things are supposed to be done? And so what I'm telling you this morning is I'm just trying to shake you a little bit and, and jostle you a little bit just to say, hey, Moses, when, when he got this project, under, when it was undergoing and it's ready to, ready to begin, he was like, hey, we're going to do this God's way. How many of you are actively living and walking in your careers the Lord's way? This is going to be a very difficult concept for us. But here's some biblical context for Sabbath. Not exhaustive. Like I said, some from the Torah and some highlights from the Old Testament. But it's in Scripture. And, and I, you know, well, we'll get there. <laughs> a, a day of complete rest from secular work following six days of labor. Established and modeled by God. And once again, we've even, we've discussed it. This was pre-law. He modeled it in creation. Uh, so it, it doesn't really fit the argument to say, well, this was a law given culturally to these people. Yes, and maybe the way that they're executing it. But in general, uh, this was something that God did before, before he gave them this in, in law form. Um, derived from the verb meaning to rest. Um, let's see here. Understand this, that this is a specific, uh, this was done in a specific way. Friday night into Saturday, not lighting a, a stove, right? Very restrained, constricted. Um, and then what we find is that in, in the intertestamental period from the Old to the New Testament, the Pharisees took it even further. And it became more about the thing than the purpose of the thing. It became more about, this is how we're going to Shabbat, and you have to count your steps, and you have to fill in the blank, right? They had all kinds of like extra things that they added to it. Uh, and then when Jesus shows up, and it's his earthly gospel ministry, we find that they challenged him on this topic of the Sabbath. And let's advance here to, to some of those uh, points. Jesus, in the gospel, teaches regarding Sabbath observance. The authors of Acts and the letters further clarify the meaning behind Sabbath observance. As Jesus begins his ministry, he enters the synagogue on the Sabbath and begins to teach with authority. Mark 1.21, 6.22, Luke, so on and so forth. Uh, Luke 4 adds that it was Jesus' normal custom to go to synagogue on the Sabbath, which is still a, a thing today, showing that Jesus followed the customs outlined in the historical books and the prophets. Uh, records that circumcisions were performed uh, on the Sabbath day. 
Jesus, uh, there's a record in Luke of Jesus and his disciples traveling, eating. Jesus performing miracles on the Sabbath. In addition, uh, recording healings. The Pharisees observed these acts and confront Jesus about breaking the Sabbath law. Jesus responds that David was allowed to break the Sabbath when he ate bread in the house of God. That the priests break the Sabbath rules every Sabbath by conducting the burnt and peace offerings. He also argues that anyone would save their animal if the animal was in danger. Jesus responds that because a person is of much greater value than an animal, it is acceptable to do good deeds, i.e. healing, on the Sabbath. Jesus utters the phrase, this is really good, because Jesus said it, right? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The phrase brings two primary points into focus. Number one, the Sabbath regulations, as interpreted by the Pharisees, had lost their intent of the Sabbath prescribed in the Old Testament. Therefore, the rules they observed were human-made and not God-made and able to be broken. Number two, the Sabbath proclaimed at creation was intended to serve mankind as a holy day, giving blessings and observing God's rest and restoration. Nothing of Jesus's or his disciples' actions were contrary to the purpose and intent of Sabbath observation. Another interesting thing uh, that I put in here, I think this is great, uh, and these are just highlights here. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, it refers to a Sabbath rest that remains in effect. The author of Hebrews anticipates an eschatological fulfillment for the people of God in the period inaugurated with the appearance of Jesus. The eschatological context points to a present and future reality, indicates that presently people who believe are able to enter into Sabbath rest, additionally, a future rest for those who are obedient. The passage emphasizes the Old Testament principles that God's Sabbath is based on abstinence from work, tied to creation, and a call for obedience. Uh, when, we, when we think about this, there's so many aspects to how God and why God created the Sabbath that it's even tied to, like, now we're laboring, now we're doing work. But when, when Jesus comes back in the kingdom of God, which is already but not yet one of my favorite uh, late scholars used to say that all the time, already but not yet. We're in the thick of it. We are doing the work of God. We are performing a work, but we're performing a work that's already been accomplished. Somebody say amen. We're performing something that God is absolutely, he has and will accomplish. And so that fine line there is when Jesus comes back and the fulfillment of his work, we will enter into a Sabbath rest. We will enter into that moment. But look, just like every other good thing, it's perverted and twisted by man's philosophies and ideologies. One thing I thought was interesting is um, seeing how we have developed as a Christian nation, and we've kind of hijacked it in our own little way. Uh, so it's, by definition, it's not a Sunday service. Do you see that? I think a lot of you disagree with that, maybe. <laughs> You're like, it is my Sunday sermon. By definition, it's not. It's not the westernized view of Chick-fil-A's business model. I mean, let's just be real, all right? It's not. That's not what it is. It might be for some. Let me explain. Everybody who works at Chick-fil-A, like maybe the, the, and that's probably not even totally true, 
maybe some of the lower levels that have off work, that doesn't mean the managers and the bosses still aren't in there making it happen on the Lord's Day. Pray tell me, this is the Lord's Day of rest, and I'm up here. This is the most exhausting day of the week for me. (laughs) By the time I preach twice, go home, clean the house, have small group tonight. Hope to see all of you there. Uh, My wife's, we're cooking what, barbecue chicken? It's going to be lit, literally, on the grill. (laughs) By the time we're done and the last person leaves at midnight usually, (laughs) I employ all four of my children, including Rex, to carry me up and put me in the bed because I'm exhausted. Sundays are not a day of rest for folks that are in ministry. And if you've been in ministry, you know that. It's, we call it in staff meeting, right or wrong, it's game day. That's what it is. We got to pick another day. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not a part of your Sabbath rest. And folks that have that mentality, I just want to go to church. I just want to sit. I just want to worship. And I go home and I do nothing. If that's your Sabbath, if that's how you Shabbat, great. But I would encourage you, because our, our services are largely evangelistic, there's places to serve. Pick another day. <laughs> Pick another day. Well, I don't have it. Sunday's my only day off. I get that, and that's fine. You come and you rest. But it does, yet yeah, Sunday's like, sit one and then serve one. <laughs> that's what I do. Shoot. If you have a question of anything in your life, see Miss Cindy. She will tell you. And I stand by everything she says. And if I contradict her, take her word, not mine, okay? (laughs) Look, here's, here's the thing. What am I getting at? I'm getting at the need of the Sabbath, not the legalistic end. So anybody ever heard of the blue law? Anybody ever heard of the blue laws? Everybody that's over the age of 50, just raise their hand, right? Uh, or maybe I should have lowered the bar, sorry. Everybody that's over the age of 29, just raise their hand. <laughs> when I say blue law, it, were, it was essentially a collective of laws that shut things down on Sundays in our culture. And if you talk to, see, the late Pastor Ray, the great Pastor Ray, right? If you talk to him more than five minutes, you would hear about the blue law. And he would, talk, he would always talk about it. Man, when society left the blue law, everything went downhill. And it's what, what, why I bring this up is in my research on Sabbath, guess what another name for the blue laws were? The Sabbath laws. They would call them the Sabbath laws. And in effect, in our society, a largely Christian nation, it was the Christian version of Sabbath to prohibit the sale of alcohol to keep any non-spiritual things happening on what Christians viewed as the Lord's Day or the Sabbath. But I'm here to tell you, it's like uh, much in a similar fashion, some churches that interpret the law for the church in a weird way, uh, I think maybe the Seventh-day Adventists, they, they might have an interesting view on this, right? Taking some of these things literally leads you down an unhealthy path. It leads you down the same path that the Pharisees took in the intertestamental period where they went too far with it. How do I know they went too far? Because Jesus himself was like, hey, uh, I can heal somebody on the Sabbath and it doesn't break the the Sabbath law. And they're like, "Uh uh-uh. When you start saying to Jesus that he can't do something that he's doing, I think you crossed the line. Think, maybe. Anybody agree with that? 
He's the standard. And if your standard is further to the right or the left, I got it backwards, you feel me. Uh, If he's further to the right or the left of your standard, I would highly recommend just going with his. You feel me? So they took it too far, even today. So here's what I'm saying. I just don't want to be biblically illiterate. And from, from this perspective, I'm letting you know, this is not the Sabbath. It's not, you would get closer to what that was going to Pikesville on Friday night and just being like, hey, can I shadow you guys for the evening into the next day? Just want to see what a Sabbath looks like. They'll probably have a really nice dinner on Friday night. They'll probably light some candles. They'll probably remember what it's like to rest in something that Yahweh did for them. It would not look like this. It would be very different. And our culture, and even in our law code as a nation, we tried to label what we're doing here and now and what stores are allowed to do here and now as Sabbath. And that's not Sabbath. Maybe it's our version of it, but let's be clear that it's our version of it and it's not it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are are you with me? So, if the point (laughs) was the rest, if the point that Jesus did this, uh, the Lord rather, did this before the law was even given, don't you think it's important? Don't you think it's important for us to sit and look and say, what, here's the question, what does it look like for us? We don't do this well. We don't. The Jews do it better. And remember the arguments, right? Paul and Peter. Peter was like, look, if these Gentiles are coming in here, they need to be circumcised. They need to eat what we eat, right? They, they need to keep the what? The Sabbath. And Paul was like, chill. They don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to, you don't need to force them into the mold, into the cultural mold But that doesn't mean, we don't know that it's Paul, but a New Testament author in Hebrews was talking about the need for us to understand what it it means to have a Sabbath or a Shabbat or a rest in what Jesus has done. Just because we are a Judeo-Christian formation in our nation, some of that, some of the church, where we have landed today, and here's what I'm saying, it's gotten lost in the sauce. Just because, no, they don't have to keep the Sabbath that way. Just because we're allowed to move about, just because we do church this way, doesn't mean we should ignore the fact that God still calls us to rest after a period of working. Even more so, I've seen, uh, who's that Doug Wilson that talks about their family doing it, Sarah? Yeah. Uh, There are some Christians that do this really well, that take time. And I'd say this is probably one of the, what do you think, babe? Probably one of the number one things that we talk about as things that we should do that I personally don't do, that I'm convicted about and that I feel like we should step into that. And so without having a legalistic slant on it, how many see the weight and the importance that Moses puts on it here at the end of this final project. Only three of you. All right, well, I'm going to talk to you three for a minute. 
about this. Here it is, church. I have a few helpful hints. It's not a legalistic structure. It's not, you better shut it down Friday night, and if you don't, you're going to hell, executed, done. That's not it. But it is something that we need to find. In your schedules, in your rhythms of life, you need to figure this out. I need to figure this out. Here's some things that I just pinned about it. Number one, create margin in your life for the everyday to cease on one day. Create, mar- I love that word margin. Create margin in your life for the everyday to cease on one day. And I know what you're thinking. I could do this like maybe once a month. Maybe. But the truth is, is this was a weekly rhythm. You're like, well, our whole work life schedule routine, full-time work, it doesn't allow it. I get it. Look, God will understand. We'll, we'll make it into the eternal Shabbat, and it'll be all the Americans that are like, okay, what's next? What are we supposed to do? And God's like, rest. We don't do that. Not in America. We're the workers. God's like, oh, Lord. Even the Lord would be like, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Forgive me. Here, here's the thing. Like, Just because the culture tells us we have to be a certain way is not an excuse. In fact, it's more of an opportunity for us to be like, I'm going to show the gospel in this area. But you don't understand. I'm not going to be able to live in the house I live in. And that's a problem. Why? But I'm going to have to downgrade on my financial goals. And that's a problem. Why? Whatever you're able to do, and, and let me help you with something like, this is the latter part of the message. You will be shocked if you honor the Lord in taking a rest, how much the Lord blesses you on those other days. How do you know that, Pastor? I don't personally, but I've heard other people talk about it. <laughs> I think the best book on this that we read that I was just like so challenged by, I think his name's John Mark Comer, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. That's what it is. We read that book on a drive together. It was like a 10, 12-hour drive or whatever. And I just remember going, I am failing at life. This guy is winning. Why? Because he is trying to pattern his life off of working in the Lord and resting in the Lord. Do you understand that social media is killing this? Do you, you follow me on this? Social media is wrecking us. We, we open it up and we're like, oh my goodness, do you see where they're at, what they're doing? Wait till I post my vacation. It's gonna be awesome. And what do you gotta do? You gotta go work overtime to get to that. It's just not worth it. And let me help you with something. Comparison is the killer. You have no idea what their personal finances look like. You think, how are they getting all that and they work there? You don't know if they're lining up at Costco once a week and their parents are paying for their groceries. You got no clue. You, you understand what I'm saying? You don't know. And I'm not talking that that's bad. I'm just saying. You're comparing yourself to what you think, not what you know. They may be living like they make 100000 and they may have a million dollars in the bank. 
You don't know. When we compare ourselves, we kill ourselves. The point is rest. And when we start comparing, I guarantee you, if you're going to see it ramp up. Hmm. So the first thing I say is this. Create margin in your life for the everyday to cease on one day. And if that seems absolutely like daunting, start with, I'm going to at least take half a day and unplug. Work your way to that point. Talk with your spouse. If you're single, thank the Lord, because <laughs> you've got an easy path to this. But <laughs> that hit pretty hard. I don't, I don't know why. I was just saying it's easier if you're single. Life changes when you have 300 kids like me. Talk to your spouse. Figure out a way to make this happen. Number two, you're, you're going to have, this is like me, my thinking on paper. I know it's difficult. Number two, whatever you normally do to maximize your efforts in your day-to-day should be carefully undone and purposefully minimized on your day of rest. We are in a society that worships productivity. You get that raise because you figured out how to streamline everything. Everything in my life is automated. Whether you want an estimate or whether you want me to come pray for you, whatever I've got going on, if you want to rent one of my cars, (laughs) my whole entire life is automated and streamlined, and it allows me to do the things that I do, right? Productivity through the roof. But if we're not careful, the Lord calls us to purposefully not produce on this day. We have full calendars. Everything's automated. People visit this and it texts that and if this, then that. And I got an app for all these things. It's all super connected and it makes all this. And I'm really productive. Come to my TED Talk. I'll tell you. But the Lord says, I don't want productivity. You have a really smart phone, but I want it to be a dumb phone on Sabbath. Whatever brings you a level of productivity, your six days of the week, I want it to bring you nothing. I want the only thing to be me and you. And and what that does is when I pause and I say, Lord, I'm going to focus on you today, what I'm showing is my life's continuation is not based on my labor but rather God's labor behind the scenes. When I totally do nothing, when I reverse engineer everything that makes me profitable through the week, but you're like, my competition will kill me. Tell that to Chick-fil-A. Have they lost anything by taking a day? The Lord's blessed them. It's not your labor that brings you all the profits the other six days. And we're going to get to this. It's the Lord's goodness. No, it's not. I have my position. I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm good at it. And because I take care of my family. You know what? That is rooted somewhere, and I get it because I'm with you, and I'm in therapy because of it. But somewhere along the line, maybe you had to go to work a little too early. Maybe you had to rely on yourself through some hard times in life. This isn't Egypt anymore. This is the promised land. 
where the Lord provides for his children. You don't have to drag your fear, shame, and guilt into this equation. And in fact, I would rather you didn't, the Lord says. I would rather you find rest. We are so scared of losing what we have. God forbid I not check my phone every five minutes. Do you understand? Like, I'm literally preaching to myself. Please, it is so hypocritical of me to even be talking about this. But I'm doing it to, be, to remain faithful to what's in the word. And you have my commitment that I will be working on it. Right here, though, you know I'm telling the truth. We, why should we have push notifications? Why do we need that? I notify myself every two seconds. I don't need push notifications. Do you know that phone will alert you if something changed? Nuh-uh. I'm better than my push notifications. I... <laughs> playing, yeah. And here's the thing. All the things that make you productive, reverse them for Sabbath. Smartphones should be dumbed down. Problem solving should be patient, reflecting through gratitude for all the Lord has done for you and your family. (laughs) If (laughs) If you think about what you are losing, then you're missing the point. I can't, I can't do it. You're missing the point. You have not yet surrendered to the Lord enough to enter into a, a Sabbath rest. I'm, I'm done beating a dead horse, right? You get it? My wife does this. I don't do it yet because I'm not as good of a Christian as she is. But she deletes the apps off the phone. You don't need the, fa- you can go on, you know that you can go on a computer and check your Twitter. Did you know that? You can go on a computer and do that. You can go on a computer and check your email. You don't have to have it tethered every five seconds. You can go on the computer and do that. So she's like, Robinson, she calls me that and God calls me that. <laughs> Delete the Facebook app and the Instagram app because the app is what like keeps you back. Scroll, 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 scroll. If you're scrolling, you ain't resting. Believe that. Mark knows that. Mark Zuckerberg is sitting in some bunker somewhere going, keep scrolling. Because it ain't rest. Mm, 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 mm. Okay. That's rest. Bless you. What's the last thing I see here? Last thing I see is assignment. Assignment. I know it's not alliterated. Uh, Exodus 35, verse 30. Listen to this. This is so, this blew my mind. So good. Moses then said to the Israelites, look, the Lord has what? Say it again. He's what? Appointed. He has appointed. I'm going to trash these names real quick. He has appointed by name Basileel, son of Uri, son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. He has filled him with God's spirit. With God's what? And wisdom and understanding and ability in every kind of craft to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut out gemstones for mounting, to carve wood for work in every kind of artistic craft. He has also given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to what? Teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all the work of gem cutting, a designer and embroider in blue, purple, scarlet yarn and fine linen and a weaver. They can do every kind of craft and design artistic designs. Bilzalil, 
Aholiab, and all the skilled people are to work based on everything the Lord has what? The Lord has given them wisdom and understanding to know how to do all the work of constructing the what? The sanctuary. We talk about how we can't do anything without the Lord, but do our actions actually reflect that? We've talked about the Sabbath, ceasing. If we rest, we're showing that we actually are relying on the Lord to work and the Lord to go before us. The next layer of that, what I see Moses talking about, is actually relying on the Holy Spirit for everything else on the days we get work done. Not only is is it important to rest, but it's important to realize that actually what happens on the other six days when we're doing things is not really us. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, sent down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness. Every good thing about you, guess what? It's from the Lord. Do you believe that? If we really believed that, if we believed that what we have is God-given, it would be easier for us to rest and obey the Lord. Hmm. Let me ask you this question. What are your gifts and abilities? What are your gifts and abilities? Maybe some of you are, are, you've never matured to that point to actually thinking about how gifted you are because maybe someone has beaten you down or told you that, that you're not good or you don't have any gifts and abilities. All you do is mess things up. Look, the voice of the enemy uses fear, shame, and guilt. The Lord hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Have you thought about what abilities you have? Maybe you think, yeah, I'm really good. I I can work with metal or I can work with wood or I can sand a floor. I can sell anything. Hmm. Have you thought about the fact that the Lord gave you those gifts and abilities? Have you thought about that? What are they? Have you ever thought that they are God-given? Listen to this. If they are God-given, I hit the wrong button on my iPad. If they are God-given, and they are, then there is a God reason. I'm gonna say that again. If your gifts and abilities are God-given, then there is a God reason. How many see that pattern in the text? Moses says, so-and-so knows how to do this, and we need that in the tabernacle, and -and so-and-so knows how to do this, and we need that, And, and the Lord actually gave this guy who's related to him the ability to teach others to do it. Hmm. Start with the God-given piece and then move to identifying a God-given reason for those abilities. Take nothing for granted. The Lord has a plan and a purpose for everything. Do do you understand that the Lord has a plan and a purpose for everything? In this context, the Lord was moving forward with his plan to bring his presence closer to his people How can the Lord use the gifts and abilities that he gave you to bring his presence closer to more people? 
Did you hear what I asked? How can the Lord use your gifts and abilities to bring his presence? Man. (laughs) Thy kingdom, thy will be on as it is. We are so self-centered, me included. We are so wrapped up in what we have going on and in our careers and in our retirements and everything we've got going on and what I'm passing down. We build and construct our lives and we fit God in and God said, I gave you all of those things to bring me to earth, not to bring earth to you. God wants you to bring him to others. And we get those gifts and abilities and we're just making money and we're getting big things and cars and clothes and 20. (laughs) We got it so backwards, don't we, Marlon? So backwards. If anything, the church should be like, let me explain something to you. I'm a nobody. Trying to tell everybody about somebody. Do you see it right here in Exodus? All the people gather around and they think about what has happened. And then when they go, oh my goodness, I get it. The Lord brought us out of all of that. Not so that my name can be known, not so that my tribe can be known, but so that his name and his image could be bared to the world. Man, and there's a name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Our lives can be worth so much more. The fact that you refuse to rest shows that you have not, absolutely not surrendered to live through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost can accomplish more in one day than you can in seven. Let's lay our arrogance aside. Let's humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord so that he can lift us up, so that he can use us. How many want to be used by God? Oh, my goodness. Mm. God's gracious gifts and callings are irrevocable, Romans chapter 11 says. View your gifts and abilities from God. Seek the Holy Spirit to give you the direction and guidance to use those gifts for the kingdom's purpose. The very last chapter of the book of Exodus says this, the the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Lord, (laughs) the Lord wants to fill us. He wants to fill you with his spirit and he wants to use you. Rest and assignment are two things that we really are struggling with in our society, yes? Let's, Let's deal with it here. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.